Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to the Book Collector podcast. Today's podcast from the Book Collector is a review article, number 14, in the series Portrait of a Bibliophile. Its title is Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, and it's unsigned. The book in question is called Ex Libris Karl Marx und Friedrich Engels by Professor Dr. Bruno Kaiser, published by Dietz Verlag, Berlin, 1967. The article was published in the Book Collector in their summer 1969 issue and is read by James Fleming. In the year 1865, shortly after the publication of Das Kapital, when asked about his favourite occupation, Marx replied, Bookworming. This encouraging English word begins a fascinating recent survey of the surviving books that once belonged to Marx and Engels. No reader of Das Kapital can fail to miss the distinctive tone, at once loving and dominant, with which Marx cites his references. There is the characteristic percipient analysis of Utopia, which reveals a wide reading of Moore's other books. There is the impressive use of Eden's works, unknown to many English writers in the mid-19th century. This wide reading has now been brought vividly to life in a remarkable work recently published in East Berlin under the auspices of the Institute für Marxismus-Leninismus. Most of what follows is adapted from the admirable introduction to Ex Libris. Marx vastly enjoyed talking about successful forays in second-hand booksellers or junk shops, and many years later he would refer to specific books that had once been in his possession but had disappeared. Such losses are hardly surprising, in view of the persecution and kind attentions of the police that were his fate for many years, and his wanderings from address to address and country to country before and after the 1848 revolution. What is astonishing, on the contrary, is the fact that in spite of everything, many of his books were his constant companions for years at a stretch, and that during the times of direst need, his bookshelves were still full with, the book collector's constant problem, no more room for new acquisitions. The fact that Friedrich Engels shared his bookish enthusiasms, and that he too had a respectable library, is evident from their correspondence. Thus, Marx to Engels on 6th of November, 1869. I'm sending you a book that I came across by chance with all sorts of pamphlets about Ireland. And Engels to Marx on 30th of November, 1882. I found a copy of The Rise and Fall of the Polish Constitution of 3rd of May, 1791. 1793. No place. It's the book that you have often mentioned in which Friedrich Wilhelm II's infamies against Poland are comprehensively described. It cost one whole mark. Admittedly, his private library was no substitute for using large and small public libraries, e.g. the British Museum and the Manchester Public Library. While both Marx and Engels were book collectors, they used books in their battle against anti-humanistic and unscholarly views. There are recollections of Marx's library in the reminiscences of friends and relatives, e.g. Lafargue's vivid description and the pronouncement that Marx treated his books like slaves. 
but Lafargue's statement that Marx marked passages in his books but did not make separate notes is incorrect, for notes are to be found in his books, and the same is true of Engels. They often take the form of critical commentaries, and these are especially important. As Ryazanov noted in the introduction to part 5 of the second volume of the collected works, Frankfurt am Main, Berlin, Moscow, 1927-35, Marx was a passionate reader, not only in the sense that he read a great plot, but also in the sense that he read in a markedly powerful and impulsive manner. This impulsiveness was reflected on the one hand in the large number of underlinings, lines in the margin, exclamation and question marks, and on the other in his lifelong habit of making extracts. Marx's own books are a very important source for the study of Marxism in general and for the critical history of his individual books. It is a great pity that the libraries of Marx and Engels have not come down to us complete. It is no longer possible to estimate the size of Marx and Engels' libraries. Marx's library alone must have exceeded 2,000 volumes, if one takes into account the approximate size of the room at Maitland Park and other clues. The catalogue of the books now surviving in Berlin includes about 700 volumes, 503 titles, excluding the Russian literature. And these are described for the first time in Ex Libris. This first, however, is not the first inventory of Marx's books. When Dr. Karl Marx, the editor of the Neue Rheinische Zeitung, received a deportation order at Cologne in May 1849, he left the property he had prudently spread between Bonn and Berlin, Paris, Brussels and Cologne in the care of Dr. Roland Daniels, one of his closest friends in the Bund der Kommunisten after Engels' conviction, and political head of the Cologne branch. Daniels compiled a summary list of the books on six sheets of paper. On the 7th of December 1850, he wrote, Dear Marx, you have probably now received the catalogue of your library. To save postage, I've put it in the packing case with the clothes. I take the opportunity of asking if I am to sell any of the books. I have had an opportunity to sell the Goethe, for example, but I do not know what books you want to keep, so let me know, and also whether you want an auction arranged. This book list has survived and appears as an appendix to Ex Libris. Shortly before his own arrest, Daniels was able to deposit the books in the cellar of his brother Franz Josef Daniels' wholesale wine business at Cologne. This aromatic storage place, nothing is known about any other, lasted for a number of years. Roland Daniels died in 1855 as a result of his imprisonment, and while he was in custody, Marx corresponded with his friend's wife about getting hold of certain books from his collection. It is evident from letters from Frau Daniels to Jenny Marx, January and February 1856, that packing and carriage caused difficulties, and delayed matters before the books eventually reached London, thanks to the energetic help of Karl Siebel. My library has arrived! Marx was able to report to Manchester on 12th of December 1860, and on 2nd of February 1861, he wrote to Engels, This bloody book business has cost me more than four pounds. What a strange fate this library has had. On the 27th of February, 
he complained again to his friend. The Cologne people have made a prize mess of my library. The complete Fourier has been stolen. Ditto Goethe, ditto Herder, ditto Voltaire. And worst of all, the Economiste du XVIIIe siècle, almost new, cost me 500 francs. Also many volumes of Greek classics and many single volumes of other works. Hegel's Phenomology. Hegel's Phenomenology and Logique Ditto. It is possible that the crosses that Marx made against a number of titles in the Daniels list refer to books that arrived. In any event, a substantial portion of his library reached him, and several of the books are among those that have been identified as surviving and which figure in this catalogue. They include works by Bieser, Capfougue, Dixon, Enfantin, Ferguson, Montgaillard, Pecure, and Vansart. Marx's library in his London homes constantly grew through purchases from second-hand booksellers, new books and presents and dedication copies from many sources. After his death, Eleanor Marx and Friedrich Engels spent a lot of time as executors in sorting and getting the library into order. Lene Demuth also helped, as Engels reported to Eleanor's sister Laura Lafargue in Paris on 5th of February 1884. It is evident from this letter that Engels could not take over the library complete because of lack of space. There isn't room here for more than half the books. Among them are a lot of good and valuable French works, which, we assume, will be better in the possession of you and Paul than anywhere else. For instance, Mabli, Oeuvre Complète, Adam Smith in French, Malthus, Ditto, Guizot, Histoire de la Civilisation en France, all the books on the French Revolution, Lustalo, Deux Amis de la Liberté, etc., etc. If you want them, we will send them to you carriage-free. I can't make a complete list. Also, if Paul wants any of the American official publications, there are a lot of them and I only need a few, there are also some of your own books here, old English dramatists, etc., which can be sent with them. Please let me know soon, because time is pressing, and we have a terrible embarras de richesse. We have promised the Russian books to Lavrov. I believe that he has the most right to them because he was Danielson's closest friend outside Russia. We are proposing to send a great pile of duplicates, etc., to Zürich, in part for the party archive, in part for a bibliothèque de rédaction, and the blue books mainly to Sam Moore, who will use them for translations. Finally, a few popular things for the Workers' Association here. In the event that you or Paul want any particular other book, please say so, and we'll send everything that is not absolutely needed here. Lafargue immediately replied that he and his wife would accept the books with great pleasure, and especially the French ones that Engels did not require for his own work, and mentioned, among other books by Vico, Michelet and Montgaillard. He also asked for the Grimm and Diderot letters, which is specially noteworthy since the volumes of letters now discovered bear Laura Lafargue's name. The same applied to Montgaillard and one of the books on the French Revolution mentioned by Engels. As for the American publications, Lafargue was interested in the agricultural books and in a history of the American Indian tribes that had belonged to Marx. The cases of books were sent to Paris at the end of February but no detailed list of their contents can be deduced. 
At the same time, a number of books from Marx's library went to the Social Democrat Archive at Zurich, founded in 1882 on Babel's initiative, also to the editorial reference library of the Zurich Sozialdemokrat. These included, above all, a file of the Neue Rheinische Zeitung of 1848-9 with Marx's handwritten comments. Engels probably gave a few books as personal mementos to loyal friends and fellow warriors in the cause, such as Friedrich Lessner. It took Engels weeks to arrange the sizable residue which he wanted to preserve. He informed Laura Lafargue on 31st of March 1884 that he had had to make considerable changes at his home. A piano had to be shifted to make room for Marx's big bookcase. Ten years later, he wrote in the letter to Marx's daughters, already mentioned, that he had willed all his books, including those from Marx's library, to the German party, and that it would be a shame if they were dispersed. It is the wish of Babel and other representatives of the German Social Democratic Party to keep them intact, and at the same time to make them available to those who want to use them. On 20th of October, 1895, i.e. two and a half months after Engels' death, the following announcement was printed in Vorwärts, the main organ of the SPD, under party news and with the heading Friedrich Engels' Legacy to German Social Democracy. As our readers know, Friedrich Engels left his library and a considerable sum of money to the party. Comrades Babel and Singer have received the legacies from the executors. The important library has been dispatched to the party offices and arrived at the customs in 27 cases a few days ago. There the cases were opened and as a result of a report to the criminal police, the handing over was stopped. The legal grounds for this action are unknown and an inquiry has been addressed to the customs authority. On the following day, it must have become evident to the latter that the seizure could not be justified and the consignment was released. Engels must have foreseen something of the sort, because the following letter was found in his papers. To August Babel and Paul Singer, The £1,000 that I have left you for election purposes had to be made in this manner because I could not leave the money to the party in any other way that would be legal in this country. That is the only reason for this limitation. Make sure that you get the money and that when you have it, it does not fall into the clutches of the Prussians. And when you have got through all this successfully, drink a decent bottle of wine in my memory. London, 14th of November, 1894, Friedrich Engels. Thus, the Marx-Engels Library came to the party archive at Alexandrinastrasse 28, Berlin, and was united with the books already there. In 1905 came the move to Lindenstrasse 69 and in 1914 to the Vorwärts building at Lindenstrasse 3. No inventory was taken of the contents of the 27 cases, which was unfortunate for subsequent researchers. The books, with their MS notes, dedications, etc., were arranged as ordinary accessions and were used and lent, rubber-stamped, and generally treated like lending library books. Some were weeded out as superfluous or for other reasons. Others were lost, or their provenance was completely forgotten. 
Furthermore, in the course of binding, many of the marginal notes made by Marx or Engels were trimmed away altogether, and the books ended up in private or other public libraries, and in one case actually reached Japan. Lenin wrote to Ryazanov on the 2nd of February 1921, shortly before the opening of the Marx-Lenin Institute in Moscow, and told him to procure manuscripts from the Marx and Engels archives, either the originals or photocopies. From 1923, Soviet scholars attended to this task in Berlin at the SPD archives and carefully sorted the complete book collection. It included 12,525 books in 17,303 volumes plus 685 newspapers and periodicals. They were able to compile for their own use a fragmentary list of books from the libraries of Marx and Engels. Detailed accounts of the Russian books were published. Then the Nazis came to power in Germany, and the works of Marx and Engels were burned at the stake. After the banning of the Social Democratic Party, 23rd of June, 1933, the SPD library was seized and transferred to the Prussian State Archives at Berlin-Darmen. A number of libraries and institutes were allowed to supplement their own collections. The former Prusicher Staatsbibliothek, Ribbentrop's Foreign Office, and the Institut für Staatsforschung at Berlin-Wannsee took advantage of this, naturally, without realizing the importance of the books or the identity of the former owners. After the defeat of the Hitler regime and the founding of the Sozialistische Einheitspartei, the part of the library that had previously come from Dahlem, from the SPD, was taken over by the party's central committee and handed over to the present Institute für Marxismus-Leninismus. Other books were collected from the cellars of the state library, and from the libraries already mentioned, and by degrees this and that volume or pamphlet, newspaper or periodical, which were once in the possession of the founders of international communism, were assembled. They represent only a fragment of what had previously existed, and many must have been lost forever during the period 1933-45. to 45. Individual books are still turning up, and others are perhaps lying unrecognized in library storerooms near or far from Berlin. The present catalogue of the Marx-Engels Library is without doubt an important contribution to Marx-Engels research. One of the most interesting things in it is the method by which provenances were established. In cases where there are marginal notes or handwritten dedications by Marx or Engels, identification is easy, but often there are only marks made with a lead or coloured pencil or in ink, and sometimes a vigorous donkey's ear with which Marx was apt to decorate his books, sometimes transliterated as Ascenus. In such cases, the coincidence of the mark on a quotation from the same book in a work by Marx or Engels gives a clue, especially when the volume bears the old SPD stamp or sometimes the additional Mark's Enkel's bequest stamp, and lastly, if it is mentioned in the Daniels list. Other means of identification are booksellers or bookbinders' labels from Paris, London and Manchester, and the shelf marks that can be found in the old SPD library catalogue 
and the analysis of the shelf mark system used. Furthermore, confirmation of the discoveries made by Soviet scholars during the past four decades, plus the special rarity of a given book and an allusion to this particular edition by Marx or Engels in one of their own books or their correspondence, in short, when all these clues are considered together, provide grounds for positive identification. In a number of cases, in spite of great probability, a book had to be excluded from our catalogue because of lack of evidence. A study of the surviving books reveal a great deal about Marx. There is not much in the way of literature, although the Daniels Inventory of 1850 shows that besides the set of Goethe that Marx grieved for, he also had a Shakespeare, Dante, Balzac, Béranger and Molière, Goldsmith and Goldoni. Thirteen volumes out of fourteen of Hawkesworth's edition of Swift, 1760-62, to 62, still survive, the set of which Marx read to Engels on 10th of May, 1870, Ich habe kürzlich fourteen bändige Ausgabe Swifts von 1760 für ganze four and a half shillings erstanden. There is also an 1800 edition of The Anatomy of Melancholy, a novel by Minna Kautsky, and a poem by Edgar von Westphalen, Marx's brother-in-law, presented by the author to Engels. Other family memorials include books by Marx's daughter Eleanor Aveling, including two translations from Ibsen, touchingly inscribed to Engels, to my dear old general from Tussey. The unspeakable Edward Aveling also presented his botany textbook to Engels. The catalogue entries for Engels and Marx list their own copies of some of their books, as well as those they gave to each other. For example, there are two editions of Engels, Herren Eugen Dürings Umwälzung der Wissenschaft, one presented to Marx, the other Engels's own corrected copy. The famous copy of the first edition of Das Kapital, 1867, marked up for the enlarged second edition, 1872, now belongs to the International Institute für Soziale Geschreidenis in Amsterdam. But at Berlin, there are both Marx's and Engels's copies of Enthüllungen über den Kommunistenprozess zu Köln, Boston, 1853, and a copy, with both their markings, of Marx's Misere de la Philosophie, 1847. One of Marx's more surprising possessions were long runs of Cobbett, Defoe and Robert Owen. Clearly, he believed in author collecting. Of Cobbett, he had The Life, 1816, Cobbett's Taking Leave of His Countrymen, 1817, Correspondence between Cobbett, Tipper and Francis Burdett, 1819, addressed to his countrymen, 1817, and a long, if broken, run of the various annual and political registers. Of Defoe, he had the Tallboys, Complete English Tradesman, 1841, first editions of An Humble Proposal, 1729, and Second Thoughts Are Best, 1729, and a second edition of Augusta Triumphans. The Owens are even more comprehensive, including lectures on an entire new state of society, Kirka 1820, report of the proceedings at Dublin 1823, and addresses 1830, as well as Owens' autobiography, 
and many of his later more philosophical works, and the rare MacNab, Examen en partiel des nouvelles vues de Robert Owen, Paris, Treutel et Wurz, 1821. Before 1850, Marx had Blackstone, Malthus, Ricardo, Bentham, Babbage, Godwin, Payne, a whole range of English political and economic thought. Most have now disappeared. Marx's interest in Ricardo, for example, only surviving in an annotated review of principles of political economy in the Edinburgh Review. But there is one exceptionally interesting survivor namely Sir William Petty's Two Essays in Political Arithmetic, 1687, an essay concerning the multiplication of mankind, 2nd edition, 1686, bound together. Marx annotated and used these works in his own writings. They can hardly have been easier to acquire in his time than ours. Many of Marx's friends and co-workers presented their books to him. La Salle gave him Das System, Der Erworbene Richter, 1861, and Deville, his French abridgment of Das Kapital, 1883. Lavrov gave Engels his L'idée du progrès dans l'anthropologie, 1873. The first volume of The Commonweal, 1885, was given to Engels by the Avelings, a rather tenuous link with William Morris. Marx also had a much-used and now incomplete set, Cap Figue, Histoire de la Restauration et des Causes qui ont amené la chute des Bourbons, 1831-3, Guizot, Histoire générale de la Civilisation, 1842, Beaumarchais Mémoires, 1777, and Montesquieu Oeuvre, 1769, see catalogue number 320, as well as Condorcet Reflexion sur la Commerce de Bled, 1776. Other socialist classics include two rare tracts by Bakunin, Un dernier mot sur Monsieur Louis Miroslavski, 1868, and Risposta d'un internationale à Giuseppe Mazzini, 1871, Petzler, Di sociale Baukunst, 1879-80, and Social Architecture, 1876, both presentation copies to Marx. Pecœur, Théorie Nouvelle d'Économie Sociale et Politique, 1842, and Engels' much annotated and now depleted set of Proudhon, Oeuvre Complète, 1868-9. But neither this nor the history sections of the library have survived in strength. Guizot has already been mentioned, and Marx's copy of Mommsen, Römische Forschungen, 1864, also survives heavily underlined in pencil. Marx's copy of the fourth edition of Hallam, View of the State of Europe in the Middle Ages, 1826, is particularly interesting, since he has marked Hallam's note, I have never seen the famous Quitinio della Liberté Venita, with a firm this I possess. It is the most substantially annotated books that are most fascinating. Irish and Indian affairs particularly roused Marx. Henry George, The Irish Land Question, 1881, is plastered with belligerent notes. 
Notes on the Northwest Provinces of India by a district officer, 1869, and Marx's genial contempt, fool, on page 97, and poor devil, on page 133. H.C. Irwin, The Garden of India, 1880, was sterner stuff and demanded longer comments. Deezer, whole inquiry was so absurdly conducted as only English blockheads could contrive to do. And this point, with the European commonplaces of political economy, stuffed English mind mostly overlooks. Hegel's Werke contains the splendid comment, Und wer begeht größeren Betrug der Art als Vater Hegel selbst? Mill, Principles of Political Economy, 1868, Acquires nonsense, page 155, asinus, page 200, and trash, page 311. But Marx had his English likes. Machiavelli's Historia Fiorentina has a quotation from Shakespeare on one margin, and a collection of papers which passed between Leibniz and Clark in the years 1715 and 1716, 1717, has some ecstatic exclamations of approval of Newton. Altogether, there are listed in the catalogue 180 works in English, 170 in German, and 130 in French. In addition, there are books in Italian, Latin, Romanian, Dutch, and the Scandinavian languages. 80 books in Russian that have been identified are not listed in the catalogue, since details have already been published. General history and the workers' movement, about 200 titles, are strongly represented. There are 60 philosophical books as opposed to about 145 on economics and economic history. There are also about 30 books on science and technology, and agriculture is represented by about 20 items, mostly very odd publications. There are many statistical works, almost a dozen military items, and much else. Such was the library on which the communist movement has been built. It is good to think that the love and affection with which Marx and Engels regarded their books has been repaid, after all these vicissitudes, with so much care by their present custodians. Ex Libris will remain one of the most valuable monuments of a little-known aspect of two great men. That was read for the book collector by James Fleming. If you enjoyed this book collector podcast, you can find many more on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or via our website. Why not check out our great collector's playlist for more podcasts featuring the biggest names in book collecting and bibliography? Visit thebookcollector.co.uk today. Finally, if you would like to sponsor one of our future podcasts, do please get in touch at editor at thebookcollector.co.uk. Thank you.